0: Let's pray. Father, we pray that our hearts would truly mean the words that we just sang. Where else can we go but to you, um, to your word, because you indeed give us life. And so as we turn now to the preaching of your word, I pray that our hearts would really trust that, uh, that we would receive humbly and openly. We thank you, God, and pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, uh, my name is Francis. I am one of the pastors here at Lighthouse. I oversee our college ministry, which is called Beacon, um, as well as Church Life. And I just wanna welcome again, the new sixth graders who are joining us for the first time. As your church family, we are excited for you. Um, I know that it's a big transition as Pastor David said, to sit here as a, compared to a children's ministry. And so it might take a little bit of time to get used to, but that's okay. And uh, later on, you might not remember this exact Sunday although maybe you might with the hurricane. Uh, But looking back, hopefully you can just look at this season uh, with fondness and with thankfulness for your relationship with God and with your church family. Um, I grew up in the church. I look back on my time as a, a junior higher, as a high schooler, and I probably wouldn't be able to tell you the specifics of what I learned or even probably less than five sermons that I can remember. Um, But I know for sure, as I look back on that season of my life, that it was a pivotal time uh, for me as a Christian, as I sat under sound preaching. Um, And that same pastor is still at the same church, doing the same thing, preaching faithfully. And so praise God for that. Um, Welcome also to some of the collegians who are starting school this week. I know not everyone is back yet, uh, but I know typically in the fall, a lot of college students, they check out churches, especially freshmen, Uh, they check out churches for the first time. And so if that is you, um, you might have a checklist of things that you're looking for in a church, right? But can I encourage you at the top of that list to find and to commit to a church that teaches the Bible. Uh, Whether that is here at Lighthouse or whether that is another solid church elsewhere, go somewhere where the leaders are committed to the word of God, who will preach it week after week, who have uh, shepherds who will watch over your soul. And then once you find that, show up, commit, serve, become a member, don't church hop forever because it takes time to get plugged into a church. And you guys might've experienced that here at Lighthouse. And so be patient with that. Well, I hope it's been clear so far that we want everything that we do both as a church and also during this worship service to be based on the word of God whether that is the call to worship, um, to the lyrics that we sing in our songs, to our offering, um, to weeks that we do baptisms and communion. We want to do that in obedience to the word of God. Uh, But that being said, we have arrived at the part of our service that we dedicate to the preaching of God's word. And there is something uniquely significant about this part of the service. Um, If you think about the order of service, everything that we've done before this kind of leads up to the preaching and then everything that we do after this is gonna flow out of it as a response. Even in terms of minutes, the sermon takes up probably more than half of our time together. And so the question that I want us to consider is why? Why do we do this? Why do we preach the word of God? Why does it occupy such a central place in our gathering together? Why do we do this week after week after week after week? And whether you are a sixth grader in here for the first time, or whether you've sat through like hundreds of sermons in your life, I think this is important for us to think about. Maybe you recognize that preaching is just this generally good thing. It's just what we do as a church. Um, Or maybe you have wondered, you know, like, why do we do this and not something else? Uh, Or maybe you can imagine from an outsider's perspective, someone who hasn't really been to church before, uh, the questions they might be thinking, right? Like, why are we opening this ancient book? Why are we listening to someone give uh, like a lecture? Well, my hope for all of us is as as we consider this question of why do we preach, that it'll lead us to a greater understanding of why we do what we do, um, that it'll lead us to a greater confidence in the ministry of God's word. Uh, It'll lead us to a greater excitement each week as we get to hear God speak, and it'll lead us to a greater humility in how we respond. There are several passages we could have looked at to help us answer this question, um, but the passage I chose for this morning kind of takes a slightly different angle because it it addresses not only the proclamation of God's word, but also our part, uh, our, our responsibility as those listening. And so if you have your Bibles, open with me to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, and we'll be in verses 1 to 9 and then 13 to 20. Uh, this is known as the parable of the sower or the soils. And Jesus tells this parable to his disciples to explain the wide range of responses to his earthly ministry. Uh, For example, you had those who you would expect to follow Jesus's message. You had the religious people, you had those in towns where he spent a lot of time, Uh, even his own family, you had those who you would expect to respond and yet they did not believe. And then on the other hand, you had those you would never expect, uh, people like the sinners and the sick and the outsiders, and they did believe, they did choose to follow Jesus and this left his disciples confused and scratching their heads. And on top of that, if what Jesus said about his kingdom was true, that it was this great and powerful and amazing thing, then why did it seem like nothing was happening, that no one was really following him? Well, this parable and and really a lot of the other parables, they show that God's kingdom doesn't grow and it doesn't break in the way that you might expect, but it grows and it breaks in imperceptibly, invisibly, as people respond to the word of God. And so even though we're gonna apply this uh, passage primarily to our preaching uh, that we hear week in and week out, I think the truth of this parable is instructive for whenever God's word is proclaimed, right? Whether you are evangelizing to an unbeliever or you're just having a conversation with your kids or with your coworkers, and you are casting the seed of the gospel for others to hear. I think the truth of this parable applies to that as well. We'll focus on preaching for this morning. Um, and as we go through this, another goal I have is not just to answer the question of why do we preach, which is the title of our message, but I also want to hopefully demonstrate what uh, an expository sermon kind of sounds like. Okay, whether uh, it's me or someone else, and we're up here and we're opening the word of God, we're not sharing our own opinions or our own ideas. Uh, this isn't like, welcome to my TED talk, You know, like make sure you hit uh, like or subscribe. Rather, we want to say what God has said. And so this involves reading a passage and then explaining what it means and then applying it into your lives, right? Into all of our lives. So read, explain and apply. And and so I'm going to try to do that. And as we go through this, we'll work our way to an answer uh, to that big question. Why do we preach at the end? And so let's start by reading our passage. Okay. I'm just going to read verses one to nine, Mark four, one to nine. Again, he began to preach beside the sea, And a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables and in his teaching, he said to them, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns and the thorns grew up and choked it and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into the good soil and produced grain growing up and increasing and yielding 30 fold and 60 fold and a hundred fold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear." You can stop right there. Um, Thankfully, Jesus makes the meaning of this parable very clear for us because not only does he interpret the parable himself in verses 13 to 20, we'll look at that in a bit, but he also begins and ends the parable with the same idea, right? If you look in verse three, he says, listen, and then at verse nine, he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, why does he say that, right? He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Well, because there's a way that you can hear and not really hear. Right? And, and we've all experienced that. We've all been guilty of that before. Maybe it was with your spouse or with a parent or with a teacher uh, or right now. <laughs> um, but in this parable, we have uh, the sower, right? We have the seed and then we have the soils. And the difference was the kind of soil that the seed fell into, right? So the, the difference was, or the issue was not the message, which is the seed. It was not the messenger who's the sower, but it was whether or not you're actually hearing the message. It is the receptivity of those listening, which is the soils. And so each of these four soils represents a different way we can respond to the word of God. So let's go through each of these. Okay, number one is the hardened heart, a hardened heart. Uh, Verse 14, it says, the sower sows the word, And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. So this first picture, this first soil is the seed that falls along the path, right? And so just kind of think about what happens uh, to dirt along a path. Well, people are constantly walking back and forth on it. They're stomping here and there. And each time someone steps on it, that dirt becomes more and more packed right? More and more compressed. And pretty soon it is this hardened, impenetrable surface, and there is no opportunity for that seed to actually get underneath the soil, right? To actually get into the ground. And so it's exposed. And so when the birds come, they just quickly eat and devour the seed. And this is probably the most common response, Most people that you talk to, they will reject the word of God. They will immediately dismiss it. It will be met with unbelief, and and they're not going to believe the word of God to be authoritative, uh, or true, or God's word like it says that it is. They will reject its claim on their lives. Uh, for them, God's word just kind of hits and then bounces off. Right? It never gets underneath the surface. And especially nowadays, we hear this all the time. Right? People say, "Oh, how could you actually believe like this this outdated ancient book? Uh, get with the times. How could you actually believe that?" and Sometimes it's not just to be antagonistic. I think a lot of times behind those questions is something really personal. But at the end of the day, the foundational question when it comes to this kind of heart is are you putting yourself under the word of God or are you putting yourself over it? Right? Are you putting yourself under the word of God or over it as a judge? Are you picking and choosing what you like, what you don't like about God's word only when it's convenient to you, only when it's uh, agreeable to you? Well, that's probably the picture that comes to mind. I think when uh, we think of this first kind of soil, but maybe another more subtle form of this is just indifference. You're just like apathetic, indifferent toward the word of God. And you're not consciously rejecting it, but you just never receive it. You are physically present. The preacher is preaching and that's as far as it goes. Or rather than seeing yourself as standing over the word of God, you just keep it at a distance from you. You never honestly think about what it means for yourself. And I think we are all tempted to do this in our own way, right? We talk about what we liked or what we don't like um, about a message or about a preacher as if we're just judges, right? Or or consumers, um, or we think about that friend um, who needed to hear that sermon, right? And this was the issue for many of Jesus' followers. They heard what he was saying, but they didn't realize that he was talking about them and realize this is exactly what Satan wants to happen. And Pastor Kim talked about this just a few weeks ago from 1 Peter 5, right? That spiritual warfare is the, the battle for our devotion to Christ. And so he wants to snatch away God's truth from penetrating our hearts. He wants us to quickly forget and just move on. Friends, even for those who genuinely love God in your heart, there may be times in your Christian life where you feel like this kind of soil. There may be times where you're not really interested, where you don't really want anything to do with the things of God. And so what do you do when you simply don't feel like it? Well, those moments are reminders that no matter how long you have been a Christian, that we do need God's sovereign grace to give us ears to hear and hearts to respond. And so what do you do? You, you continue to put yourself in the pathway of God's grace and you pray the words that we just sang, right? Break the heart and stony ground, help our unbelief. You, you plead with God to be gracious to you that he would do what you cannot do on your own, which is change your heart, right? And grow your desire for him. So that's the first soil, sort of the hardened heart. Second is the shallow heart, verse 16. <laughs> These are the ones sown on rocky ground, the, one, uh, the ones who, when they hear the word immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. So this second soil is different from the first soil in that this one actually starts out well, right? Jesus says, when they hear the word, they immediately receive it with joy. But the problem with this soil is there's no root. Right? the rocky ground, <clears throat> refers to um, soil, which had a layer of rocks or or limestone underneath. And so if you look at it, it might look like everything is okay. The the seed might even be buried a little bit. Uh, It says that it can endure for a while, but because there's no real depth, because the roots can't go underneath because of the layer, then it can't withstand the heat of the sun, right? And once something gets bad, it just withers away. And so maybe you hear this and you're thinking, wait, like, does this mean I can lose my salvation? And I would say, no. Um, passages like John 10:27 to 28, or Philippians 1, 6, it teaches us that for those who are saved, um, that no one can snatch you out of God's hand, that he will complete the good work that he started in us. But at the same time, the Bible also teaches us that genuine faith is tested and proven to be true over time. Right? And inevitably there will be moments when life gets hard uh, or as the parable says, when tribulation or persecution arises. And one thing those hard times will do is they will reveal the true nature of your faith. Right? They will reveal how deeply rooted uh, those roots of God's word have really traveled. And this second soil shows us that tragically for many, those hard times will show that their roots haven't gone very deep at all. And as quickly as this kind of heart enthusiastically responds to the word of God, it says immediately, right? It's the the same words. It's just as quick immediately to tap out and to bail. I'm sure you can think of examples of this that you've seen in your own life. Maybe you once knew a friend who was on fire for God. Uh, or someone who rededicated their life to God at a retreat. And they were, it seemed like they were just so convicted, so convinced and excited to do this Jesus thing. And then trials and suffering came and it was just all gone. I mean, I think this is particularly relevant for you young people um, or you students here, uh, whether you are in middle school or whether you're in college and you are away from your parents for the first time. And as you get older, you are given more and more independence, uh, more and more freedom to decide what's important to you, to decide what you believe and how you spend your time and who your friends are. And so you have to ask yourself, is your faith really your own? Do you know what you believe? And do you know why you believe it? Are you developing your convictions of the things that really matter? And you don't have to figure all of that out at once, it's a lot, but the answers to that comes from the word of God. Now there's nothing wrong with emotions, there's nothing wrong with enthusiasm or even growing really quickly in a short amount of time, but we ought to pursue and value things like depth, things like diligence, consistency, repetition in the Christian life. If we want to be rooted deeply in the truth, So that even when there are seasons that are hard or when God seems like he's far away or when your faith feels dry, that there is enough depth, right? The roots into God's word that you can still draw the nutrients that you need. And one of the most significant ways that God helps us to grow in that way is through the local church. Um, Where I live, there's a bunch of really big pine trees that kind of line the streets and the neighborhoods uh, they've been there for decades, I think, since, like, the city started. And it's only recently that the city started realizing that, like, it looks really nice, but uh, maybe that wasn't such a good idea because the roots are, like, growing really big. They're messing up the sidewalks. Uh, they're, they're messing up the streets, like, breaking people's pipes. It broke our water meter. Um, but it's, uh, and so they're, they're realizing, like, okay, this wasn't, like, a great idea. So they're starting to cut them down. Um, and they're replacing them with some less intrusive trees. Uh, but it's this interesting site because you have these like giant thick trees and then they'll plant a new tree and there's this young like skinny tree and they need uh, to support it with those like wooden stakes. Well, Kevin DeYoung says that having a local church as is, is as if you are this young little tree, this young sapling, and yet you are tethered to this mature oak tree. And and you have a church family who will support you, who will stand with you, who will help you grow. You have leaders who are committed to shepherding your soul, committed to feeding you and nourishing you. And then within the ministry of our church, this is why we do things like small groups, We have midweek small groups. We just uh, all signed up for it Um, or fellowship groups. We do small groups um, after the message. And maybe you've wondered to yourself, Like, wait, I just sat through a sermon and now we have to have small groups. We have to stare at each other for an hour and hope someone talks. Trust me, many small group leaders have thought the same thing. But we do small groups because it is an opportunity to grow together in depth of understanding and application. We want to ask the important and honest questions of how does this apply to me and my life? And we wanna ask that for ourselves and with one another. small groups is an opportunity to learn from others and to grow in depth. And I I know for myself, I've learned so much uh, just from talking about the Bible with other people. And so parents, here are some simple questions that you can just start by asking. What is one thing that stood out to you from the message and why? And when you ask your kids, this might not be, they might not say the main point of the sermon, right? They might say like an illustration or just something totally random and that's okay. Just keep asking it. And then you can start to ask them, oh, how did you see it connect with your own life, right? How do you see this speaking into your own circumstances? And then what did you learn about God or yourself or the gospel? And then parents, can I encourage you to do this? Be willing to share your own answers, right? Because we can set an example of humility and being receptive to God's word by sharing how it's speaking into our own lives. The third soil is the distracted heart. Verse 18 and others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. So uh, thorns here, you can translate it as weeds or just undesirable plants. Um, And these weeds, they crowd out uh, fruit from growing properly. And so if you you can think about it this way, if the shallow heart withers away because life gets hard, then this distracted heart proves unfruitful when life is good or when life is busy. Other distractions, they come and they choke the word and they steal away your time and your attention and your energy away from the things of God. And look at how Jesus describes these thorns, right? He says, they are the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things. Now, does any of that sound evil to you? Right? Does, does any of that sound inherently uh, sinful to you? And you can say, well, maybe deceitfulness of riches, but not really, right? The cares of the world, desires for other things. I mean, these are seemingly innocent or ordinary or even good things. And riches is the prime example of that, right? Money in itself is not bad. But 1 Timothy 6 says it is the love of money that can plunge you into ruin, right? It is the deceitfulness of riches that can make you hope in money instead of in God. Now, what does this look like in our lives? Well, just think about what goes through your mind, like from the moment that your alarm goes off in the morning. Or what do I have to do today? Well, I gotta get ready for work. I gotta get ready for church. I have to drop my kids off at school. Um, I got to make that doctor's appointment for next week. I have to study. I'm behind or homework or after school activities. I I should get started on that application. Oh, I need to schedule that interview. Oh, we have that get together with friends tomorrow night. Uh, Emails, notifications, buzzing on your phone, you're scrolling on social media, you see what your friends are doing. Man, it'd be cool to do that, right? Or to travel there. You have to manage your portfolio, soccer practice, birthday parties, Taylor Swift concerts, house repairs, dating, wedding planning, work promotions, maybe even church activities. And there's nothing super strange in any of that, right? But I'm sure you know so many things just call for your attention, that this thing needs to get done. This thing needs to get done. Oh, this thing looks like fun. You need to attend to this or that. And then all of a sudden, God gets crowded out. It's why John Calvin, who you may know, called the heart a perpetual idol factory. He also described the heart as a thick forest of thorns. God's word gets lost in the many priorities in our lives. And Lighthouse, I think this is the most dangerous one for our church. We are just busy people with a lot of things going on. And what can end up happening is maybe it isn't this like deliberate rejection of God or His Word, but it's this slow drifting because we are distracted or we just neglect Him or uh, God doesn't get enough of our attention. And so this is why we preach about the beauty of Christ as we put it often here at Lighthouse, this is why we preach about why following Jesus is not only right, but better. And what hearing the Word of God does is it stirs up our affections for Him, right? It gives us this clear vision of who Jesus is and so that we can get to know Him and so that we can be reminded why He is better than anything else this world has to offer. And so, as you think about your schedule, as you think about your to-do list, whatever the cares of the world might look like for you personally, do you need to create time and space? It may be at the expense of something else so that you can simply spend time with God. Do you need to do that for your family? I know of course, it's not possible to just drop all of your responsibilities. And so let me just give you one practical suggestion. Here at Lighthouse, we are blessed to have so many people in our church family from so many different situations and so many different seasons of life. You have so many examples of what it looks like to pursue faithfulness, uh, whether that's students or new parents or empty nesters uh, or employers and managers or employees or even unemployed, um, to those in med school. We have singles and married. We have families living with disability. The list goes on and on. And if, uh, if you're not sure about what it looks like for you to honour God with everything going on in your life, and can I encourage you, is there someone here in your church family that you can ask? Hey, how have you tried to be faithful in this situation? Like what are some truths that you've tried to think through for yourself? And it doesn't mean that what they say has to be the standard of faithfulness, right? There's different ways to do that, but can we learn from one another what it might look like to follow Christ? And so we've looked at three different soils so far, right? The hardened soil, the shallow soil, distracted soil. You can maybe make out some sort of progression there. It gets more and more subtle as we go along from this uh, just outright upfront rejection of the Word of God to the constant battle that you and I face each day uh, for uh, the Word's attention in our lives. But the end result for these first three soils is the same. it doesn't produce any fruit. And so there's only one kind of heart, only one kind of soil that will prove fruitful. And it's our last point here, the receptive heart. Verse 20. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30 fold and 60 fold and a hundred fold. Now notice the relationship between the words there, right? It says the good soil hears and then accepts or understands and then it bears fruit. Okay, so you not only physically hear, but you absorb, right? You ponder, you process, you accept, you understand. You don't put yourself over the word of God, but under it, right? You let the word of God confront your sin and interpret your circumstances. You let it guide your thoughts and speak hope into your suffering. You let the word of God point you to your need for Christ. And then this kind of listening leads to action, it leads to bearing fruit or as uh, James says, it says, you're not just a hearer of the word, but a doer also. Now you might listen to all of this and you might think to yourself, well, I've seen a lot of examples of this, right? Or of the other three soils, uh, but I'm a Christian. And so I must be this fourth soil. Or maybe you're on the other end and you think to yourself, well, okay, so like, how do I know which soil I am? What if it's just a matter of time before something happens and the seed withers away? And my response to that would be it's right, it is appropriate to regularly examine your own life to evaluate its fruitfulness. Um, not in this like morbid introspective kind of way, but humbly and honestly. Uh, we should recognize the temptation for all of us, even on a weekly basis to just not pay attention to the word of God in our own lives. But in this passage that can seem kind of bleak and kind of, uh, kind of serious, I also want you to notice the simplicity of this last kind of soil, All right? It's, it's just the good soil. And it's like Jesus is stating a fact. He says that if your heart is humble and you receive the word of God with listening ears, then God will produce fruit. If you receive the word of God with listening ears, then God will produce fruit. And Psalm 1 says that as you listen and as you meditate and as you delight yourself in the word of God over time, that you will be like a tree that is planted by streams of water. You are always connected to God's supply. You are fruitful in its season. And sometimes that fruit will be super obvious, right? It will be a hundredfold. You will maybe forgive the person who wronged you or you're you're able to share the gospel with your unsaved friend or family member. And maybe more often than not, that change won't be as obvious, maybe just 30 fold. Maybe it's just cracking open your Bible or or trying to pray. Or maybe it's just remembering a truth about God in a moment that you're tempted to be anxious. So sure, in one sense, this parable does require us to examine the results, right? We're supposed to kind of see, okay, whether or not there's fruit in my life can show me about the root of God's word in my heart, But at the same time, this parable warns us against being totally results-oriented too. And I think that's important to know because often the lack of fruit can stop us, right? The lack of fruit can be what makes us give up because we think to yourself, oh, like I didn't feel anything different today, right? I don't even know if I understood the sermon from yesterday. Like I, I still struggle with this sin and we're tempted to give up. Well, this parable gives us hope that God will change you and he will grow you. And this doesn't mean that droughts or rains or temptations or struggle will not come, but you will withstand it. And for those whose hearts are humble and receptive to the word of God, as the seed of God's word grows in your heart, suffering, it doesn't have to devastate your faith like it does for the shallow heart, but it can be a moment to refine and to deepen your faith. The delights of this world, they don't have to be distractions. They don't have to be idols, but they can be opportunities to savor Christ even more. Friends, you will not be perfect, but real visible fruit will be present as you listen to the word of God. You will be a little bit more like Christ than you were yesterday and last week and last month and last year. And so let's go back to our question, why do we preach? Well, hopefully as you've been following along, you realize that at the bottom of why we listen and why we preach is the same core conviction. We preach God's word because we trust in its power to change lives and bear fruit for those who humbly receive it. We preach God's word because we trust in its power to change lives and to bear fruit for those who humbly receive it. We wholeheartedly believe that the seed of God's word is powerful to bring about life and change and growth and fruit. And we stake our entire ministry on that conviction. And it is why we do what we do as a church. It's why we don't change our message despite the different responses that we might get. We preach with the great hope that God's word will accomplish its purpose. I love the picture in Isaiah 55, 10 to 11. It says, for as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring, Uh, forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it." I mean, if it depended on our own giftedness as a preacher, if it depended on our own eloquence or persuasiveness, if it depended on the number of positive responses that we got after the message, then good luck, right? Like we're not gonna last very long. But if God's word does not return empty, if it accomplishes its purpose, then like the sower in this parable, we cast the seed faithfully and generously. We preach the word in season and out of season with complete patience and teaching. And we trust that perhaps, okay, this Sunday, someone might respond to the gospel and saving faith for the first time. Or this Sunday, someone might hear a truth that they really needed to hear. Or maybe this Sunday, like this is the one, it just clicks. They've heard that same thing over and over again and they just get it for some reason. We cast the seed faithfully and generously trusting that some of it will land in good soil leading to good fruit. We trust that God is working through the ministry of the word even when we might see it. You guys remember when we had to stream Sunday services during COVID? I don't cause I erased it from my memory. <laughs> but God still worked through the preaching of his word via watching YouTube. Right on a screen at home in the middle of a pandemic and he used that to bear much fruit. And so we can rest knowing that it doesn't depend on us, but on God. And so in the same way for all of us, we listen knowing that God blesses those who humbly receive. And it's the same thing every Sunday, right? Another week, another sermon, but we pray that our hearts would be fertile soil for the seed of God's word to land. And as we humbly sit under the preaching of God's word over time, we can be confident that God will use it to change us and to grow us. And so right now we have uh, the privilege of being able to see that in the testimony of Jaron Silva. Jaron is a second year college student who grew up here at Lighthouse and he's gonna grow or he's gonna share about how God worked in his life through his own experience as someone who has gone through um, time here at Lighthouse the transition from children's ministry to youth group and then to college. So let's welcome Jaron.
1: Good morning, Lighthouse. Um, For those of you I haven't met, I'm Jaron. I've grown up going to Lighthouse for my entire life. My parents, Jeff and Gwen, were part of the church plant that came from Evergreen 20 years ago, and they're still very active in serving the church today. I've been so, so blessed in ways that I can't even begin to list, and by people I can't even count throughout my entire life at this church. To the youth who are joining us in main service today, welcome. I'm sure the service so far is a pretty substantial difference from what you're used to, but I just wanted to encourage you all and share a little bit of my experience, having gone through all the youth ministry myself, so I can relate to what you're all most likely feeling right now. You guys are teenagers now, which is kind of crazy to think about, but I know you have to deal with feelings of wanting to fit in, wanting to be liked, wanting to perform, and those things don't necessarily go away, but I think you all at this age are more aware of those things for the first time. Uh, I very much remember not wanting to cause waves and was tempted to hide my faith if it meant getting along with people better. Um, Even now, I still have to fight to stand up for my faith. Uh, Don't be too discouraged if that is hard for you now, but it becomes more manageable as you mature and have more experience with it. But for a more church-specific experience, I'm sure being in the main service now is at least a little bit weird if it's not intimidating. Uh, it's a big difference sitting with adults, parents, grandparents, people who are so different from just the kids in children's ministry, who are com- in completely different walks of life and completely different backgrounds than you might be. I remember being super intimidating sing- sitting next to my parents and all the aunties and uncles in service. Not being able to sit next to just my friends was a big adjustment for me. It was for the better, honestly, because the sanctuary is a place where the congregation can focus on the word being preached without anything drawing your attention away from what is being said. Another thing is that the sermons can seem like they are long. It is difficult sometimes to have someone talk at you if you are used to a format where you're being constantly interacted with. Uh, It may seem boring, quite frankly. Uh, I was looking through my notes from when I was youth age about five, six years ago, It looks like I find myself bored occasionally because I found lots of Pokemon drawings on the margins of my notes. I could not tell you why I chose to draw that, but that little anecdote is just to say I can definitely relate to feelings of being bored when I was your age. Uh, I found it helpful to actually visualize the words being said, to try to work the concepts out for yourself and put them in your own words instead of just scribbling the words you hear onto a page. Uh, The contents of the sermons are heavier too in main service and they can deal with very hard to hear situations The ugliness of the fallen world, addressing specific sins, and standing up for your faith. Real life, clear applications from Scripture. It was a big change, at least for me, from grasping more biblical truth, basic biblical truths, and learning Bible stories in children's ministry. Uh, One of the opportunities that has allowed me to grow the most in my faith is youth group. Looking back, I am so thankful for having been able to hear uh, Eric, who was our former youth pastor, and Leighton and Keith who were also pastoral interns in charge of high school and junior high ministries respectively, and everyone else that has preached over the years. Uh, Just pour into us every week, sharing the word with passion, humility, and a desire for us to comprehend what they're saying, to let it take root in our hearts and apply it to our lives. I remember one of the last sermon series in youth group was on the book of Job. I felt really convicted by most of those sermons because I realized that I had been blaming God for making me go through a particularly rough season of life, as well as how I saw some of my own habits in Job's friends, as I, had too, had looked to my own understanding and my own wisdom instead of relying on God and his word. Leighton spoke on Job 28, which has this imagery of all the different ways that man seeks out resources, overturning mountains, blocking streams, mining precious stones, but it culminates with verse 12 of chapter 28, which says, where shall wisdom be found, and where is its place of understanding? For all of man's earthly capabilities, we cannot obtain wisdom on our own. And that is a lesson I have to keep reminding myself, that I do not know better. And I remember being in Layton's small group senior year of high school, just talking honestly about God's will and how it may be impossible to know with 100% certainty, but how we can still grow and learn to trust in him more fully. As much of a blessing youth group was, one of the challenges I remember was trying to make new friends outside of the people I had grown up with. Meeting new people did not come easy for me, and I know for some of you as well, that is the case. Uh, Getting outside your comfort zone is difficult, but in doing so, you have the chance to demonstrate Christ's love towards others. Not necessarily by sharing the gospel, although that opportunity may present itself, uh, but just by being there for them, by being able to care about them and their lives, to pray for them or walk alongside them, you'll be able to show Christ's love through your actions. I just want to tell you to try not to be discouraged by how daunting all of this new church stuff may seem. Here you get to experience people who love you and just want to serve you and help you grow in your faith and walk in the Lord in new ways. Ways that just might not happen in children's ministry where things are meant to be more digestible and a little bit more uh, clear, clear and easy to understand. The pastors explain and clarify the word in depth by giving historical context for passages as well as dissecting the important words uh, in the original language of the text. Each pastor does their best to care for the entire congregation, whether it's through their sermons, their roles as leaders, or even just having a conversation with you and asking how your life has been. I had a conversation with Pastor David one time and he just asked me how I was doing, how college was, and what I thought of the latest Star Wars show. It was and or, I think. Even though it was small, it was something that stood out and I appreciated him taking the time to talk. There's also the worship team, which glorifies the Lord with their abilities and gifts allowing us in the congregation to just focus on worshiping God and glorifying him. It takes a lot of time to work on playing an instrument or singing, and it takes a heart that is willing to serve and quite a bit of courage to essentially perform in front of several hundred people. But for the worship team, it's not about performing or sounding good. It's about getting to glorify God with the gifts he has blessed them with. And I'm sure I speak for everyone when I say that we are so, so thankful for them. After going off to college, there are a lot of things I'm thankful to have learned in my time at Lighthouse. I'm glad I know what to look for in a church, solid teaching, carefully considered worship, and how they treat their members, because different churches value different things. One church I looked at had a really big focus on bringing bringing people into the faith with many convicting gospel messages, but uh, more a little bit questionable theology. It seemed very focused on the emotional aspect of the gospel, and the teaching seemed somewhat secondary to that in my limited exposure to that church. I'm also glad I've learned how to pray, how to study the word, because living on my own, no one's going to force me to do that as I try to pursue my faith. I have friends that will encourage me and hold me accountable, but at the end of the day, the desire to grow in my faith and pursue a personal relationship with Christ has to come from me, completely submitting to him and dying to myself. I'm glad that the Lord has shown me all the ways I can grow and how I need to rely on him first, and secondly, on the people he has put in my life. I'm continually shown that I am an imperfect person. Romans 12:3 reminds me to remain humble and says, For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. It accords with the faith God has distributed to each of you. At the end of the day, I am just a sinner who can do nothing on my own, but who will still strive to love and serve, however imperfectly, but with my whole heart, because of the God who loved me first. At the end of all this, I want you all to know that I believe that living for Christ is worth it throughout all the sermons, small groups, meetings, and hangouts over the years, I've been shown an overwhelming amount of God's grace. And I would encourage you all to seek out those opportunities as part of the youth of Lighthouse. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Jaron, for sharing with us. Let me go ahead and pray for us to close. Father, we celebrate your work in our brother Jaron's life. And we do pray that his testimony would uh, motivate us to um, commit ourselves to the means of grace, to keep our hearts fertile and humble before your word, trusting that you will work in us um, and you will use it to bear fruit in our lives as we listen over time. We do pray for the preaching ministry of Lighthouse, that um, that those who preach would be committed um, to Uh, casting out the gospel seed, um, not trusting in our own ability or uh, trusting in results or just thinking that it depends on us, but um, knowing that you are the one who gives the growth. And so help us to be faithful um, to what you have called us to do. Pray for the new sixth graders. We're so thankful that they can join us today. We pray that you grant them um, patience, endurance, understanding, and um, that they might even be excited and, and joyful to join the rest of their church family in service each
1: week. We thank you, we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.